3, we're continuing our sermon series through the book of Colossians. Uh, this morning we're going to be in Colossians 3, verses 9 through 17. Uh, so we want to encourage you if, you, if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, please let us know. We have plenty of Bibles that we would love to pass around and give to people. Um, so we, we would love to give you to that. Uh, this morning I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Um, I have this really beautiful Bible. It's called the, the Spurgeon Study Bible. So for those of you that like uh, Charles Spurgeon and Alistair Begg, uh, this is an edition that he has uh, put together. But nonetheless, uh, we, we go to God's Word this morning uh, in Colossians 3, verses 9 through 17. So uh, please join me as we pray that God would speak and that His Word would be known to us. Father, we thank You for this morning. We thank You, God, that we can gather as Your people. Lord, we pray that Your Word would transform our hearts from the inside out. God, that your word would speak in such a way that our hearts would be revived, that we would be strengthened, that we would be encouraged. And God, this morning, may you give us eyes to see not only how this passage applies to us individually, but how it applies to us corporately as the church, and then how it applies to our lost world. So we pray that you would do your work of teaching us, instructing us, and that your spirit would help our hearts to receive the truth this morning. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. I'm going to read the passage for us this morning from Colossians 3, verses 9 through 17, and then we'll begin to dive into the text together. So Colossians 3 verses 9 through 17, reads like this. It says, Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Church, this is the word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. As we come to this passage this morning, we are continuing to look through the book of Colossians, and the main theme that we have seen is that we are alive in Christ. We're talking about our identity in Christ and what it looks like for us to live out that identity. So Paul writes to a church that has been influenced by false teachers who were actually among these believers and had been strayed away from the Lord. 
They've influenced this church and they've told them that they needed something more than Jesus in order to have a deeper relationship with God. So they talk about depth, but they separate it from the depth and the knowledge of the love of God in Christ. They tell them that in order for them to have a deeper relationship with God, have more maturity in their Christian growth, that they need to follow different festivals, that they need to practice different things. And these are not according to the freedom that is proclaimed in Christ. I see the problem that existed in this church was really a problem of disunity because there was a, a spirit of elitism that existed among the people. I am superior to Jesus because of the ways that I walk out my walk of Christianity, because of the things that I partake in. And this false truth, this false message, started to infect the church in such a way that it became cancerous. And this morning, we're going to continue in Colossians 3. Paul has, in Colossians 2, told them that just as they have received Christ, they're to walk in him, rooted and built up in him. He gives them three warnings in in Colossians chapter 2, and then he starts to instruct them in Colossians 3. And there are five relationships in Colossians 3 and 4 that Paul brings to the surface. And the first of which we, we examined last week was the relationship of Christ and the Christian. So how the Christian relates to Jesus. They're rooted in Jesus. Their identity is in him. The text says that we are hidden with Christ in God that he will appear and we will appear with him in glory. But the passage we just read this morning starts to bring to life the Christian and the church. And so the first thing I'd like to introduce this morning is just this, this statement. It is absolutely antithetical to call someone a Christian who is not a part of a local church. You cannot be a Christian and not be connected to a local church. That does not exist in the New Testament. If you are a believer in Christ... You do not exist on your own. You exist as part of the body of Christ. And the local church exists for three different things. The local church exists to proclaim the gospel. That's the first thing. To proclaim the good news of Jesus. That Jesus has died for our sins. That he was buried and he rose from the grave. The church also exists to affirm one another through the ordinances. This is baptism and the Lord's Supper. So we proclaim the gospel and we affirm the gospel in one another as we baptize people and as we distribute the Lord's Supper, which we'll have the opportunity to do this morning. So we exist to proclaim the gospel, to affirm one another through the ordinances, and then lastly, to live together as the family of God. We are a family. Anybody want to break out in this song for us? Emily James, right? We are a family. They're like, no, we're not introducing that to the worship set. No, but we do exist as a family. And as a family, we're uh, going to have conflict, we're going to have joy, but we are going to be together through thick and thin. So the Christian cannot be separated from the local church. The Christian has to be tied into the local church and find its life in the local church. And really, the heartbeat of this passage starts to talk about church unity. What does it look like for the church to be united? The division that exists is killing them. But what they really need is unity. I love this quote from Mark Dever. He he begins to say, he says, "If, if churches expect to have anything to say about how Christians do live, they will say something about how Christians do not live. 
Yet I worry that many churches approach discipleship like pouring water into a leaking bucket. All of the ambition and intention is given to what is poured in with no thought given to how it is received and kept. So let's just talk about a few misconceptions of unity in the local church. The first is that unity equals uniformity. That means that everybody is the same way, and we all agree on absolutely 100% of everything. That is not true of unity. In fact, unity can be seen in diversity, that we can sit together as people with different thoughts and convictions and still come together under Christ and say, the gospel is the most important thing. That represents unity rather than a group of elitists who say, we do all of these things this way. So unity is not uniformity. Unity is diversity. It's why Paul describes the church as a body, that there are arms and feet and noses, and hopefully one nose, not too many, eyes. There are left hands and right hands. Yes, indeed. The last time we did this, I said that not everybody has a left hand. No, okay, it's, it's going to be all right. <laughs> that might be true, but the church has a left hand and a right hand. We exist as diverse people given gifts by God to encourage one another to proclaim the gospel, to affirm the gospel, and live together. That's why we need these different parts. So unity is not uniformity. It is diversity. Unity also means that we're not necessarily passive. Sometimes people think, well, if I want to have unity in the church, then I shouldn't say anything to stir up trouble in the church. I shouldn't say anything that will uh, maybe disagree with people in our church. I just want them to all know that I'm for them, not against them. Oh, if we come to the convictions of what the Word of God says, we are going to have differences. There are going to be some who say that you have to do these things and others these things. But the the question becomes, what does the Word say? So unity is not a, a passive act in which we say, I don't want to stir trouble. Unity is going to the Scripture and calling our brothers and sisters in the Lord to say, put the Word of God first. Unity can also be misconceived as zealousness. Thinking that I need to say whatever I think will help in order to help. Sometimes that's not the truth. Sometimes it's not the truth for us to share our opinion of, well, if we want to grow as a church, then we need to do these things. If we want to be united as a church, then we need to be united around these things. Often what leaks into those conversations are things that are not biblical convictions, but preferences. And so the unity of the church needs to rest in the truth of the word and in the gospel. And so Paul instructs these Colossians and he tells them that there's a few ways that they can maintain unity. And the first we see in verses 9 through 11. He tells them to be on guard. Be on guard that you would not lie to one another. Verse 9, do not lie to one another since... You have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. There is an old and there is a new, and we have been renewed, according to this text, in the knowledge of our Creator. This is what Romans 12 says, that our act of worship is the transformation of our lives from the inside out, the renewal of our mind. 
that as we come to know the truth of God's word, that our minds represent the word of God, that our lives follow in actions that are true to the word of God. So it says, don't lie to one another. Keep your unity by, by not lying about who you are, about who others are. He then goes on in this huge list. He says, in Christ, there's no Greek and Jew. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no barbarian. There's no Scythian. There's no slave or free. But he says, but Christ is all and in all. So do not lie to one another, but don't think of yourselves as superior to one another. This is amazing. I love when you have conversations about, like, uh, your, your ethnic background or your, your, uh, your family heritage, right? Well, I'm, I'm Irish, I'm Italian. Right? All the Irish people are like, yeah, Ireland, right? All the Italians, yeah, Italy, we like pasta, right? And it's like there, there's kind of this one-upping sense of like, look at where I stand, look at how cool I am, I'm Irish, and it's like maybe like this much, right? As, as Christians, we get to come together and not say, look at me, I'm an American Christian, We don't come to the table like that. We don't come to the table and say, look at me, I'm a black Christian. That doesn't exist. What we come to the table as, we say, we are Christians. We're united in Christ. We are people who are lost and dead in our transgressions and brought to life. Look at me, I'm the Christian who doesn't partake in these things. Look at me, I'm the Christian who has freedom in these things. I wear skinny jeans. I have a tattoo. That is not how the Bible defines Christian. The Christian is the one who has been redeemed. The Christian is the one who has been transformed by the person and work of Christ. And therefore, we are all equal in Christ. Now this doesn't mean that in our equality that we have uniformity. It means that each one of us has been given gifts that help and nourish the body of Christ, to glorify Christ. We celebrate, okay, yes, we are in Christ. We have equality before God. Our union with Him has shown us that we now have redemption and salvation. But our diversity in Christ helps us now to come say, under Christ, we get to exercise these gifts together as the church of God. So don't lie to one another. Uh, Friends, let me just put this illustration out. You know, what happens in churches many times is people want to come to the table and say, hey, I want to be part of this thing or that thing because I believe that I'm gifted here. And churches can often be too nice. We're like, okay, hey, yes, you sing. You do kids ministry. You don't want to put somebody in a singing capacity who doesn't have the gift of singing, right? It can be a little screechy. You don't want to put somebody who hates kids in kids ministry, Not a good idea. Jacob's like, yes, I get to escape from kidsmen. (laughs) I think there's a calling for the Lord for you, brother. (laughs) But as we see these things, we have to recognize that the church can't be so nice in such a way that we say, let's be passive and not affirm the true gift of a person, but say, hey, yeah, okay, you want to do this thing? Great. We've had a conversation about spiritual gifts. The way that we answer our spiritual gift is not, here's what I'm gifted with. It is the question of, what does the church need? 
you want to put unity in the church as you exercise your gift, you don't lie to one another by saying, hey, this is your gift. You embrace one another and say, you know what? Singing might not be your thing, but we need a coordinator. Would you coordinate? I know you work in administration, and I know that this is your skill. Could you help us in that way? It will give you an area where you can exercise passion, but it also gives you your giftedness to say, hey, I can use this to the glory of God. You don't put the kid, the, the kid hater in kids' ministry, but maybe they're like, you know what, I love greeting people at the door. Well, if you don't like kids and you like greeting, I'm concerned. But nonetheless, okay, here's where you are gifted. Let's place you where you're gifted to help the church. So there's no need to lie to each other to say, hey, yeah, this is where you should be or that's where you should be. It's that passivity, right? Oh, okay, I don't want to stir up trouble, so I won't really tell my brother or sister in the Lord that they're, that's not where they belong. It's the embrace of love. It's also a denial of superiority. As we recognize that the church is a place in which we exist to be a place to enable and empower people to use their gifts to the glory of God. We're not a factory of holding on. We're not a holding tank where we say, all right, we want to hold all of the best preachers right here. We want to hold all of the best musicians right here. We want to hold all of the best kidsmen people right here. We want to say, as the Lord has called you, serve this local church, but as he sends you, we send you in praise. And we don't tell the musicians, that they're better than the preachers, or the preachers, that they're better than the musicians, or the kids, men, people, that they are totally wacky. We tell them, you serve to the glory of Christ. There's no superior in the church. We are in Christ, and Christ is with us all. So, how do we apply that? If we're not to lie to one another, if we're not to act as superior to one another, we begin with repentance. God, forgive me. Forgive me for lying to my brothers and sisters. Forgive me for avoiding the hard conversation. Church, I have to admit to you this morning, I come in repentance of avoiding some hard conversations. Avoiding the the difficult conversation, avoiding people-pleasing, to make people happy and to feel that everybody gets to do everything that they want to do. Well, church, the reality is is we don't need 50,000 guitarists. I think Carl would probably shoot us if we had 50,000 guitarists. We don't need 50,000 vocalists. We don't need 50,000 administrators. We don't need 50,000 kids workers. And at times it's hard just to say what we need. If I'm honest with you, if you ask me, what does our church need right now? I'd say what our church needs is a united front. We would say no matter what, irregardless of who does what, we're pushing on for the gospel. I think what our our church needs is not people who want to serve in their giftedness, but people who are willing to serve to help 
push forward the gospel in our community. People who can come to the table and say, hey, I want to serve the church. Every church can use more of that. Every church could use pastors like that. It could use members like that. It could use attenders like that. The reality is, starting from the top down, we need to repent for lying to one another and treating others like they don't have the superior gifts that we have. And then Paul, as he instructs them, he continues, he starts with a negative, but then he moves to a positive, and he tells them, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, you also are to forgive. So notice the things that he lays out. He says, put on first compassion. Put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on gentleness. Put on patience. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. And what does this all point to? The ultimate reality that even in our sin, Jesus has forgiven us. He's forgiven us on the cross. And so we we lack compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience because often we are so focused on our own sense of right and wrong. We're separated from God's reality of what He has done through the Gospel. Well, this person wronged me. They weren't compassionate towards me. They weren't kind. They weren't humble. Paul doesn't say, if you want to put these things on. He says, put them on. He says, be compassionate with one another. It is antithetical to be a Christian who is not compassionate to another brother or sister in Christ. Well, if you just suck it up and get through this, right, you'll move on. You'll be okay. A lot of young families, and each one of us can represent these things, right? It's interesting to hear these conversations. People who are engaged looking towards marriage. Well, everything will be different when you get married, right? <laughs> yeah, everything's going to be different when you get married. You get married, and you're married for a couple years, and you're, you're going along good, right? Well, wait until you've been married for 10 years, and that miserable sinner is going to expose himself. <laughs> oh, you think marriage is hard now? Wait until you have kids, right? Then you have a kid, right? And it's like, ah, oh, wait until you have another, right? Where does this line end, <laughs> right? That's the question I want to ask, because it always just seems to get worse and worse and worse. But God has told us that as we start in Christ, yes, things will get harder for us, but that there's a whole reversal of the story. We start with nothing to bring to Christ. And in the end, we toss our crowns before Him. And we're with Him for eternity. All these stories of wait until you're this, wait until you're that, wait until you reach this level. When we reach glory, friends, we will be able to find eternal rest in our Lord and Savior. And sometimes it's really easy for us to to get angry with one another because we're like, they've been a Christian for how long? How long? They don't grasp this yet? Friend, they still need the gospel. You and I still need the gospel. 
So we should be compassionate because we need Christ's forgiveness. We should be kind because we need Christ's kindness. We should be humble because Jesus was humble enough to go to death for us. Hear that again. Jesus was humble enough to go to death for us. We should be patient because God exercised his great patience and forbearance against our sin in Christ. We should be gentle because even though Jesus could have spoken everything to a halt, he died a humiliating death. Notice how Jesus handles people who are in sin in the Gospels. The adulterous woman. He comes to her. He sees her sin. He talks with her. He listens. He embraces her. And as he exposes her sin, she's caught in the ranks, but he says, go and sin no more. Notice he didn't come by with the holy two-by-four and slam it down on her. He came in and he said, I know your truth. Here's the truth in me. Go and sin no more. Or in John 8, another woman caught in adultery and all the Pharisees are ready to stone her. They're ready to put her to her death and they're looking to Jesus. Jesus, what do you have to say about this? And Jesus draws in the sand with a stick. And his response to them is, he who is without sin can cast the first stone. And one by one, they walk away. And Jesus looks to this woman. He says, your sins have been forgiven. Go and sin no more. We're to have character that reflects Christ in the church. But see the motivation for the Christian in the church. Verse 14, Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. So if our character is to reflect Christ in the church, our motivation needs to be the rule of Christ, and the peace of Christ for the local church. The church is to be a place that represents the shalom of God, the peace of God. And shalom is not the sense in which you come in with tranquility. It's the sense in which everything functions as it's supposed to. Right? You can find shalom in a racetrack, 200 laps, no crashes, no yellow flags, Everybody made their pit stop. Everybody fueled up. No bumps in the road. That is shalom. Everything working as it is intended. So the peace of Christ is to rule in us. It says, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. How can you be united in Christ? It comes in a love for God and a love for others. And the result is peace. But there's also thankfulness. It says that we are to abound in thanksgiving. We are to be thankful people. I love that we said that the church 
exist to be, live together as a family of God. If you're in a family, you know that there's dysfunction. You get mad at your uncle and you get mad at your sibling. You get mad at your parents and parents get mad at their kids. But it says here that as we live as a family of God, we love as a family of God. No matter our discrepancies, we come again united in the gospel and say, brother, sister, I love you. I love you. Even if you give me gray hair, I love you. So the Christian reflects the character of Christ in church. The Christian's motivation is the rule of Christ in the church. But Paul instructs these Colossians on the life of the church in the following verses. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So first, in the life of the church, the word of God has to have primacy. It has to be the primary motivating factor. It has to be the primary instruction, the primary piece of the life of the church, the word. And it tells us that the word of Christ, as it dwells in us, and it's rich among us, it will lead us to teaching and admonishing. Teaching and admonishing are two different things, my friends. Teaching is an instruction. Admonishment is an encouragement or an exhortation to act in that instruction. I think that the word admonishing could be a good word for preaching. But notice this. He continues to say, as the word of Christ dwells in you, through teaching and admonishing, the word of Christ continues through singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, this is not Paul saying to people, you need to have diversity in your music, or you can only play psalms, or you can only play hymns, or you can only play spiritual songs. He is telling this church, no matter what you sing, a psalm or a hymn or a spiritual song, you sing it because it reflects the word of Christ. And this is a commitment that we have at Church of Hope. Our commitment is that through our music, that it reflects the word of Christ. That we comb through our songs to make sure that our songs reflect and portray what is true from the Bible. And quite honestly, we have lots of conversations as a music team where we sit down and say, okay, hey, this this song is very good, but it focuses on man too much. This song reflects the person of Christ. Let's focus on Christ. We think that there's a place for those songs, but that the primary vehicle of singing in the church needs to reflect the person and character of Christ. The word of Christ. The word of the gospel. In church, we're unified through the teaching and preaching of the word, but we're also unified through the singing of the word. It's why every week when we get up, I say, sing loud. Because we might not even notice this, but this is the reality. When we sing loudly together, we are unifying ourselves to one another. We're saying, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as we lift our voices, we are lifting them, proclaiming this truth, and holding it together. 
Singing is one of the most important things that can happen in the life of the church. And there are moments where you can take solitude. You know, Steve was saying that he took solitude in one of the songs. He let the words of the song speak to his heart. Praise the Lord for that. That's a great thing. And we continue to say, even yet, we sing together to proclaim Christ, but to proclaim our family. James, Emily, and I have been helping out at the bridge over the past, well, I've been there for the past couple of weeks. Emily and James were with us uh, last week. And uh, the bridge church is a church plant in stores, real small group. Um, I think last week was the largest group I've ever been at, and that was like 20 people. But we, we were in Mansfield Community Center. We were in one room set aside uh, by ourselves. We just had a guitar and some words in front of us, and we sang. And I can tell you, that was the loudest group of Christians that I have ever sung with. They didn't know all the words of the songs, but they sang from the depths of their hearts. And as they did so, they not only reflected Christ, they reflected the unity of a local church. I've gotten to go to Fred and Terry and Ann. They've they've gone to nursing homes. And they've brought the word of Christ in music to other folks, folks that are shut in, folks that can't get out. And as they have sung There's nothing like hearing those older folks sing together with them, proclaiming Christ. Singing is so powerful in the life of the church. Singing is so powerful because it reflects the gospel. It really reflects something in which we totally let go of ourselves and embrace the goodness of Christ. Some of us have been given voices. I'm going to take that back. All of us have been given voices. Some of them sound differently than others. But nonetheless, we have been placed in the local church to sing together to proclaim the gospel. So you know what I want Church of Hope to be known for? A place where people come in and they belt it out. They sing from the depths of their hearts. And they proclaim the goodness of Christ. And we are on our way there, friends. Let's continue to look to Christ and continue to lift our voices in song. Because you never know how you're going to encourage your brother or sister in Christ next to you through something like a song. So in the life of the church, we teach and admonish one another. In the life of the church, we sing together. And in the life of the church, we serve together. Verse 17 Whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It says, whatever you do. Notice that, friends. Notice it again and again. Whatever you do. Not what you like to do. Whatever you do. And it defines it in two different things. Word or deed. There are word services And there are deed services. So word service in the church might look like teaching hope kids. It might look like leading a D group. It might look like just getting together with another person in the church to read the Bible together. That is a word ministry that you can do together. But there are also deeds. And so what do deeds look like in our church? Deeds look like things like nursery where we serve families with young kids, 
so that moms and dads can sit and be part of the service. There's not a whole lot of instruction that happens there, other than the simple, hey, don't throw that toy at the other kid. But it's a deed. There's also the red barn. We get to serve people in our community as we collect items and sell them back to fund missions work in our church and through our church. It's a deed ministry. The deed of cleaning or helping with snack. The deed of going to a brother or sister's home to help them with a couple of projects because they can't get up to go and do it. The deed of having dinner together. These are ways that we can encourage one another in the word and encourage one another through service. But hear this, whatever you do, why do you do it? Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There are going to be times, especially for those of you that have performed deed service, there are going to be times where you just get to a point where you're like, I am tired. I am worn out. This stinks. I don't want to get up at 8 a.m. to go to the barn. This is confessions from your pastor. (laughs) But here, the motivating factor, what you're doing, you're doing in the name of the Lord, which is a denial of yourself to say, for the glory of God and for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. So when you go, you do it, knowing that it is Christ who is ruling through that and that you are giving, it's just give thanks. So even when you roll out of bed on a Saturday at 8 a.m., you give thanks. God, thank you that we can encounter people today and tell them about Jesus. Thank you that even if we don't have a conversation, we can reflect Jesus. Thank you even though that this is a thankless ministry, there is thankfulness in Christ. Do so in the name of the Lord. The church is a place that is to be unified. We are united through character as we pursue compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. As we forgive one another, we build in our character to reflect Christ. So in the church, Christian, in this room this morning, reflect Christ. Be humble, be kind, be forgiving. We are motivated by the rule of Christ in our church. We are motivated by peace and thankfulness and unity. What drives us and brings us together isn't what we want, it's what God wants for our local body. So Christian, be motivated to unify your local church. Christian, see that in the life of the church, you need the Word of God. You need it in the large group gathering, what happens here Sunday morning. You need it through the week with other believers in a small group setting, whether that's a Bible study or a D group. You need it in that one-to-one get-together. Because all of us are here this morning because somebody was bold enough to share the message of the gospel with us. So as we go from large to -to one-to-one and one-to-one to large, we have to know that we have to be driven by the proclamation of the gospel. And the moment we stop proclaiming Christ is the moment we cease to exist. 
Christian, be motivated to sing together. Come together and sing from the depth of your heart knowing that Christ has redeemed you. Sing songs like Grace Alone. Sing songs like what we will sing in response to the Lord's Supper. Behold our God seated on the throne. He's in charge. He has redeemed and purchased His people. He has brought us salvation. Sing together these biblical truths with everything that you have so that you would be reminded again of Jesus' goodness to you, Jesus' goodness to His church, and Jesus' faithfulness to continue to unify His church. Christian, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord Jesus and whatever you do in word or deed, do it to the glory of God. I think each one of us can grow in these things, myself included. But praise God that there is grace and mercy to continue to grow and that we are not done yet. That he's still writing our story and he still has plenty to say about the folks of Hebron Church of Hope. And praise God for the work he's already accomplished. Pray with me this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul's encouragement that the Christian, as they are rooted and built up in Christ, that they get to, one, know their union with you. That they are united to you. That in Christ, no depth, no height, no thing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. God, we thank you that we get to get together with the local church. And we pray, Lord, that we would value the local church in such a way that it would resemble compassion. It would resemble kindness. It would represent forgiveness and gentleness. But God, that we would also, in those kind and beautiful, soft things, we would be a force to be reckoned with as we proclaim your word as we sing your word, as we serve you, may we do so for your glory with everything in us. So this morning we come as your people saying, Lord Jesus, help us to keep on today. Help us to sing, help us to proclaim, help us to serve, help us to build in our character, help us to put off lying to one another, help us to put off and guard against the temptation to see others as less and inferior. Lord Jesus, help us to see that all we have is Christ. In his name, amen. Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're going to have the Lord's Supper this morning, so I'm going to invite David and Steve to help me with the Lord's Supper this morning. Um, Friends, We changed things up last month, Um, so what you'll notice is we have our tray has uh, the cup and the bread, okay, so grab a a bread and a a cup for yourself, Uh, we'll go through uh, the ceremony there, but before we distribute these things, let me tell you why we do the Lord's Supper. We do the Lord's Supper as an act of remembrance as a church 
of what Jesus has done through his death, burial, and resurrection. We proclaim through this supper that Jesus has broken his body, that he has spilled his blood, and through that work on the cross that he has brought our salvation. So this is a meal for those of you that know Christ this morning. You've come to a point in your life where you have responded to the gospel in repentance and in faith. I've turned from my sin and I've embraced what Jesus has done. This is a a meal for you to celebrate. A meal for you to remind yourself again of God's saving work. That he was humble enough, willing to go to death for the redemption of our sin.